Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Creation comes about through God's speech. God spoke and the world came into being. By Yom Elohim, God says the world should sprout trees, grass, and the world sprouted. So God spoke and the world came to being. And not only God spoke in the past tense, but God speaks in the present tense. God is constantly speaking. If God would cease to speak, if God would stop to speak, the world would cease to exist. Because the world on its own is a non-entity. The world has no existence. It's not like the artist. When the artist takes something that exists, takes clay or takes material that exists, and he shapes it, he defines it, sculptures it, plays with it. This entity had an existence on its own before the artist came along. All the artist did was he changed the shape, shaped it, defined it, made, did something artistic and beautiful, but he can walk away from it. Why could he walk away from it? Because the entity has an existence of its own. It stands on its own two feet. It existed before the artist came along, and it continues to exist. All the artist did was he changed the shape and the form. It's all he changes the form, but not, not the substance, the essence. The thing has an existence on its own. It stands on its own two feet. But when God created the world, everything in this world, God created both heaven and earth, God created out of nothing. And therefore it has no existence of its own. It has no right of being, it has nothing. And it can't stand on its own two feet. Because God has to constantly recreate. God has to constantly recreate. The miracle of creation is to constantly create something from nothing. To transform energy into matter is a constant, constant miracle. Like the modern physicist tells you, everything that exists is really atoms, which is pure energy that is transforming itself as we speak, this very moment, to you, I, the chair we're speaking, the cup of water, everything is really, it's energy. It's, it's all it is. Matter is energy. It's energy transforming, it's being transformed into matter. But it's a miracle. It's nothing short of a miracle. And there has to be this powerful force to constantly urge this miracle, to, to create this miracle. Otherwise, it would cease to exist. Everything would revert back to pure energy and everything would revert back to, to nothingness. So the world would simply cease to exist. So there has to be this constant divine energy, which is we call God's speech. God speaks and he orders everything into existence. So his speech, God's power of speech, is constantly creating everything that's within everything. God's speech is, is creating the earth and giving it the power to constantly regenerate. And God's speech is creating the heaven and everything that exists down to the tiniest detail, the flower, the leaf, everything is constantly being created down to every blade of grass, the amoeba, the atom, everything is constantly being created through the divine energy, through the divine speech. Therefore, if the divine energy would cease, everything would revert back to nothingness. So nothing really exists on its own on its own right. It's not like anything has an independent existence. On its own, we're, at, we're nothing. We're really nothing. It's a divine energy that's constantly bringing us into existence. To use a human analogy, you throw a ball up in the air. Right? The ball by nature, it follows gravity and the ball rests. 
How do you take a ball to go against the force of gravity? You have to have an energy, a strength, to go against its nature and to throw it up in the air, to fly in the air. When that energy ceases, what happens? The ball reverts back to nature. Falls right back down to earth. So what happens when the ball is flying in the air? Has the ball become a flying object? Did the ball, has the ball changed and been transformed into a flying object? No. The ball is a stationary object. It's the energy that's pushing the ball. Not the ball that became a flying object has been changed, has changed. The ball hasn't changed. The ball is still. The rock is still. It doesn't move. It's an unmovable object. It doesn't move. It doesn't budge. But you have this force, this energy that's pushing it. So it's the energy that's flying. It's the energy that's pushing the ball. But the ball itself remains, even while it's flying, it remains, it's really on its own, it's a stationary object. So the same thing is with existence itself. When God creates the world and bring everything into, brings everything into existence through his speech, God spoke and the world came into being, right in the beginning of the Torah. That's divine energy that's creating everything, transforming energy into matter, bringing everything into existence. So what happens? Even after, even while it exists, just like the flying ball. Has the ball been changed and become a flying ball? The ball suddenly flies? No, the ball doesn't fly. The ball is stationary. There's a force that's pushing. So when God speaks and brings something into existence, does that mean that now it has an existence? Now we exist? No. We inherently, we don't exist. We have no independent existence. We can't be, for one moment, we can't be without the divine energy constantly creating us. If the divine energy would cease, we would in one instant disappear. We cease to exist. We don't exist. We have no existence. So even while we do exist, even when God is speaking and creating us and bringing us into existence, it's not we that exist. We don't have any independent existence. We don't have any real existence, any substantial existence. What exists within us? It's the divine energy. That's all we are. We're nothing other than the divine energy that's constantly bringing us into existence, that's speaking, communicating, and bringing us into existence. So even when we exist, we don't really exist. So on a basic, on a simple level, that's how the Alter Rebbe explained in the second part of Tanya, which we learned, that the world, when we say that God is the only thing that exists, that we don't exist, it's because we don't really have existence. We don't have any independent existence. The artist can walk away from his artwork because the artwork existed before. He just changed the shape and the form. But the world didn't exist before. The world has no existence. There's no independent, no existence, no inherent existence. Inherently, innately, we simply don't exist. Our only existence is because at this very moment, there's a divine force and energy that's constantly within us, that's constantly forcing us and bringing us into existence, transforming energy into matter, constantly bringing us into existence. So therefore, what, what are we? Even when we exist this moment, who are we? What are we? Is this for real? Are we, are we really, do we really exist? No. Just like the ball. Has the ball become a flying ball? No. The ball remains stationary. It's the energy that's pushing the ball. So what are we really? Our whole existence is nothing other than, than the divine energy. So there is nothing else but God. There is no real existence but God. There is nothing besides God. This is what the Torah means. There's no other existence besides God. In other words, there's no independent existence. Without God, there's nothing. Angels, universes, higher levels of consciousness, material, spiritual, human beings, this whole commotion that we call life and world and existence and being 
even while we exist. It's not that we're an illusion, God forbid. It's not an illusion. But we don't have any independent existence. Our entire existence is nothing other than the divine energy that's constantly creating us and bringing us into existence. So our very substance is God. Our very being is God. There is nothing else but God. In a real sense. Because God is the only independent being. The only independent existence. We cannot, indep- we cannot exist independently. For one split second. We couldn't stand on our own for one split second. So what does that mean if you can't stand on your own for one split second? That means even when you exist, what are you? No, you, you, you don't really exist. It's the force within you. That's who you are. So even when we exist, it's not really that we've become transformed and now we exist and now we're real. We're nothing other, for really, we're nothing other than the divine energy that's constantly bringing us into existence. God's creative energy, God's speech. That's bringing us into existence. That's, that's the only thing that really... But... But... Alter Rebbe here goes a lot deeper than that. Because... Yes, while it's true that there is a concept of Ein Oid Movade, that there's nothing other than God, that nothing exists independently besides God. Ein oid, if you know Hebrew, ein oid, there's nothing, milvadoid, there's nothing besides him. In other words, there's no independent being that could exist outside of God, besides God, even for one moment. Therefore, our existence is not really existence, even when we exist, it's the energy within us that's really, that's bringing us into existence, that's really what we're all about. Okay, so true. There's no independent existence besides God. But we are a dependent existence. We're not an independent existence. But we are a dependent existence. Like light of the sun. Could the light of the sun exist without the sun? What happens if you disconnect the light of the sun from the sun? There's no light. There's no light. Light, you can't bottle the light and sell it. If the light is not connected to its source, it ceases to exist. If the electricity is not connected to the generator, to its source, it ceases to exist. Light, energy, has to be connected to its source. Otherwise, it ceases to exist. It's a dependent entity. It's not an independent entity. It senses its source, it feels its source, it knows without its source, it's nothing. Everything it has comes from its source. So it's, a, so it's not an independent reality. So we can understand that in truth, all of existence, all of creation is really a dependent reality. We're constantly connected to our source. We're dependent on our source. We're nothing other than the source. So we're not an independent reality. There's nothing else besides God that's independent. But dependent, maybe there is something besides God. There's God and there's us. We are dependent reality. There's the sun and there's a light outside the sun. There's God and there's us. Yes, we're not really existing. Our whole existence is really the divine energy within us. Yes, yeah, so fine. So we're not an independent existence. So, but we are a dependent existence. So before creation, there was no flying ball. Now you have a flying ball as well. Now you have an existence that's not really an existence. But there is, an end. There is something. Something happened. Before God was alone, and now He created an exi- a dependent existence, a dependent entity. But how can you say that God is Yachid? Not that God is one, but God is exclusive. 
Atahu, you are alone just like before you created the world, and you are alone after you created the world. Even while, even now, this moment, God is alone. There's nothing else besides God. This doesn't make sense. How do you explain that? What do you mean there's nothing besides God? God created the world, and He spoke, and it came into being. And it's the divine energy that's creating us and bringing us into existence. Not an independent existence, but a, but a dependent existence. How can you say nothing exists but God? Absolutely nothing exists. God is absolutely alone. Nothing changed. God was absolutely alone before He created the world. At this very moment, God is absolutely alone. How do we make sense of that? That's what he's going to explain here. Remember you were saying a few different times over the months that we're waiting for Mashiach. We get ten of us doing kind of everything right as much as possible. So who are the ten people? Aren't we existing to do the right thing? To do? Yes, yes. <laughs> the 36. No, you mean the 36 hidden tzaddikim. Uh, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Okay. Don't, don't worry, this world is not an illusion. Life is very real. <laughs> Life is very real. It's, it's the ego, the egotism that's an illusion. Uh, but the, the uh, life, is, life is very real. And uh, first, to understand that, first you have to appreciate, you have to understand the idea that nothing exists besides God. There really is nothing, no existence. Not only there is no independent existence besides God, which is what he explained in the second part of the Tanya, here he's explaining something much deeper. That there is no existence, period. Ein oid. Not only ein oid movade, not only is there no existence independent of God, but outside of God, besides God, independent of God, but ein oid, there is nothing else. Nothing else exists besides God. Now, we have to understand. How do you explain it? What do you mean nothing else exists besides God? God created us through His energy, through His divine speech. He's constantly creating us. If He creates us, so He's bringing us into existence. A dependent existence, but existence nonetheless light of the sun, still connected to the sun to the source, but still there's a sun and there's light how can you say that all there is is the is, is sun nothing else really exists how can you say that, that's what he's going to explain here, in this chapter what we learned in the second part of the Tanya, we learned how God's creative energy the Devar Hashem, God's speech God spoke and it came into being so the speech itself creates everything and animates everything and sustains everything so that speech is constantly speaking and creating everything that exists. Everything has the breath of God within it. Everything has God's speech that's constantly creating and bringing, sustaining and creating everything, bringing into existence. But now he's going to discuss the relationship of God's speech to God himself. When the Torah says God speaks, obviously God doesn't have a mouth. We don't mean in the physical sense. Why does the Torah use the analogy of speaking? Because it's a parable from a human from a human understanding. We'll understand from a human being. Just like when a person speaks. So when the Torah tells us that God creates the world with ten words, with ten utterances, the Torah is giving us an analogy, just like a human being. When a human being speaks, when you say, imagine you're saying ten words. What significance do these ten words have in comparison? To you, the person who's speaking these ten words. Are you going to call a press conference? Stop, stop the presses. Head, 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 headline story. The person spoke ten words. Earth-shattering event. What happened? He spoke ten words. What, what, are, what are ten words? 
What happens when the person speaks? Speech is so superficial to the person. Now you can speak an infinite amount of words if you were to live long enough. Some people, it seems like they do. <laughs> There's no limit in your soul to the amount of words you can speak. We have the concept of reincarnation. Maybe you because you live a limited life, so you stop speaking. But reincarnation, when the same soul is reincarnated in another body, it can speak and speak and speak, and then on and on and on. So how is it possible for a finite soul to have the ability to speak infinite amount of words? It's like a bank account that's infinite. It just, just keeps on giving. No stop. Just keeps on, the ATM machine just keeps on words. Words keep on coming out. Infinite. How is it possible? The answer is because it's superficial. It means nothing to the soul. It's not like, take for example, you take a cup of water. There's a reservoir of water. There's an ocean. You take a, take a cup of water out of the ocean. Of course, you won't notice it. It's just a little cup of water. But ultimately, the ocean is made up of, of a certain amount of water. Every cup of water you take out of the reservoir, you're taking a piece of the reservoir you're taking out. You're removing a piece of the reservoir out, out of the reservoir. So the reservoir has lost a cup of water. If Bill Gates takes out one dollar bill from the ATM, okay, it's like a drop in the ocean. I'm sure he won't notice it. But eventually, if you stand there for many years, every minute constantly taking out a dollar bill, eventually he's going to start, start depleting his account because ultimately it's 68 billion is made up of, of dollar bills. So it's a drop in the ocean, but it's, you're taking something of the substance itself and you're removing it. When you speak, however, it's not like the soul has a certain amount of words stored in your soul. And every time you're, you're speaking, it's like an ATM machine, you're taking a make-no-withdrawal, and you're giving a piece of your soul. You're not giving a piece of your soul. You're not giving anything of your soul. It's so superficial to the person. Why? Because speech, speech doesn't add anything to the person. The person doesn't need speech. It's like the sun. You think it makes a difference to the sun if it shines, if it doesn't shine. If it's a nice day and the sun is shining, that <laughs> means the sun, the sun is hotter. There's no difference. So if it's a dark day and it's cloudy or... It's in those parts of the world where it's dark for dark for six months. If, let's say, it wouldn't shine, it would stop shining. It doesn't make any difference. The sun doesn't matter. The core, the essence of the sun, it really doesn't make any difference. It doesn't add anything to the sun, it doesn't detract. It does shine, it doesn't shine. Because it's totally superficial to the sun. It doesn't, it's not like the sun has to invest itself in giving out light. It's not like when you speak, you're investing yourself. You're not. You don't need speech. For yourself, you need speech. You don't need speech. Speech is only superficial, external, for the other person. Robinson Crusoe, who you have to talk to. Speech is for the other person. You want to communicate, you want to speak to the other person. The other person wants to know what's going on inside your mind. If there's anything going on, wants to know what's going on in your heart, wants to know, wants to know what's going on inside. So you communicate, so you speak. So speech is very superficial. Reminds me of the story there. Someone comes to the rabbi, he says, Rabbi, I speak to have a big problem. I speak to myself. <laughs> Rabbi said, listen, uh, it's not the worst thing in the world. Everyone occasionally speaks to themselves. Even I sometimes catch myself speaking to myself. He says, Rabbi, you don't understand. I'm such a nudlik. <laughs> <laughs> but the speech is for the other person. It's not for yourself. <clears throat> so, so for the person itself, it's totally superficial to the person. And therefore, it's inexhaustible. It's, like, it's not, not like water off your back. It's like the light of the sun. It means nothing. You don't invest yourself in the speech. <clears throat> Even within speech. 
A person could speak infinite amount of words. So how significant is it that you spoke 10 words? Even in comparison to your speech, your ability to speak. It's not an event. In your lifetime, you speak millions of words. Billions, zillions. So what, the, what are 10 words? It's absolutely meaningless. Meaningless. And then what are words in comparison to thought? Thought is qualitatively different, higher than speech. Not every thought can be put into speech. Every, it takes you five minutes to think. It takes you a half hour to express it. Thought is much more internal, much more intimate. No one knows what you're thinking. You can tell that a person is lost in thought, but I have no idea what they're thinking. Speech is external. Speech is you communicate to someone outside of you. That's why a person could stop speaking. Some people could, but you can't stop thinking. Because thought is much more intimate. Thought is connected to your soul. Just like your soul never stops, you can't stop thinking. Even when you sleep, you're dreaming, you're thinking. So thought is qualitatively different than speech. And is the source of speech. When you speak, you speak words that you thought of, that you prepared, that you thought of, and then you, while you speak, you're thinking about what you're speaking. So in comparison to thought, what are ten words in comparison to thought? Nothing. But even thought is really a form of communication, a form of speech. You're speaking to yourself. You speak to yourself or you speak to others. But then if you go deeper, what is thought in comparison? What is speech in comparison? What is thought in comparison to the source of thought and speech? What's the source of thought and speech? The emotion. The intellect. No one loves in French or in English or in Russian. And raw intellect, raw concepts, transcend language. That's why the, the Russian communist scientist had a perfect rapport with his capitalist counterpart. Because it transcends culture altogether. What culture? When culture? It's pure concepts, pure intellect, concepts, ideas, philosophy. There's no, there's no, transcends all language and words. So innate intelligence, raw concepts, raw understanding, raw emotion, totally transcends language. All the language in the world can't adequately describe a real, genuine emotion. So what are ten words in comparison to the source of intellect? To the, to the source of words, which is the emotion. To the source of emotion, which is intellect. And then you can go deeper. The subconscious, which totally transcends words and language altogether. So the question is, what are these ten words in comparison to the person who spoke these words, who are behind these words? There, there's a thought behind this speech. There's an emotion behind this thought. There's an intellectual understanding behind this emotion. There's the subconscious. There's the soul. There's the person. Have we even begun to scratch the surface of who the person is? Has the person exhausted himself in this speech? Has he invested himself in this speech? What exactly has this person invested in this speech? Nothing. It's an insignificant event. It's an absolutely, inherently insignificant event. It's not that it engages the person, that it occupies the person, the person has given of the substance of given of himself. What has he given of himself? Nothing. And that's what the Torah means. God created the world with his ten utterances. What did God invest in creation? What did, of course God spoke and the world came into being. But it's not that it occupied him. It's almost like you said earlier, almost like it happened on its own. It's almost like it happened automatically. What does God invest? He spoke ten words. The king said, let there be a house, and he walked away. What the, does it engage him? Does it occupy him? Does he invest himself in it? 
It doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of his speech. It doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of his thought. It doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of his emotion. It doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of his intellect. It doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of his subconscious, of his core, of his essence. So the king remains a total mystery. Totally transcendent. That's what the Torah means. God created the world. The world didn't add anything to God. It means nothing to God. It didn't add anything. Not like there was God, and now there's a God and there's a world. What is the world? It's God's speech. Where is God's speech? Within God. When within God, it doesn't add anything to God. It means nothing to God. It's a non-event. It's a non-entity. It's insignificant. So this whole world, this whole tumult of life and the world and the whole bureaucracy of the universe, spiritual, physical, higher levels of consciousness, angels, meditation, spirituality, religion, mysticism, this whole tumult to God, it's a non-event. This is the point that he's trying to make. From a Jewish point of view, there is an abyss there's an absolute abyss, a chasm between us and God. An unbridgeable chasm that cannot be bridged. Not by religion and not by mysticism and not by meditation and not by higher levels of consciousness. Not by art and not by music and not by beauty. There's nothing that we can do to get one iota closer to God. There's only one way we can get closer to God. God throws us a line. God chooses to connect with us. By giving us the Ten Commandments, Revelation, the Torah and the Mitzvah, God revealed Himself to us and He gave us a way for us to connect with Him. And that is the only way. And that is why for a Jew to be disconnected from God, to violate one of the mitzvahs, not to violate one of the 365 don'ts, or not to do one of the 248 active mitzvot. It leads us to the abyss. To absolute nothingness. Because without God, without His Torah, without His mitzvot, there's absolutely nothing. And that's why for a Jew, a Jew is ready to sacrifice his life, just like a Jew is ready to sacrifice his life, not to worship idols. A Jew is really ready to sacrifice his life to do Torah and Mitzvah, to live a Jewish life, not to die for God, but to live a godly life, to live a Jewish life, in our daily life, on a daily basis, in thought, speech, and action, 24-7, to lead a Jewish life, to follow the Jewish way of life, to learn the Torah, to do the Mitzvah, day in, day out, 24-7. Because this is, our, this is reality. There is no other reality. There is no other reality. The moment we unplug from God, it could be angels, higher level of consciousness, it's an abyss. There's nothing. It's nothing. It's meaningless. It's insignificant. It has absolutely no value. And a Jew knows it in his kishkes. Every fiber of his being and every bone in his body. That there's only one reality and that's the reality of God. That's the reality of Torah and mitzvot. The reality of the code of Jewish law, the reality of Jewish life. That has sustained the Jewish people miraculously for 3,800 years. There is no other way. There's nothing else. Nothing else exists. It's not only a lifeline. Without this, there's nothing. Without this, we're lost. 
we reduce to absolute nothingness. Meaninglessness and nothingness. And that's not an option for a Jew. To unplug, to be disconnected, is not an option. Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky